Welcome back to the True North Podcast. My name is James McKenzie, and we've got several special things about today's episode. First of all, we have a special co-host, my friend James Hugo. What's hey. up, man? How's it going? Good. If you guys don't know who James is, he was actually one of our guests several months back on yep. the True North Podcast where he shared his story, and uh, y'all should go check that out if you haven't heard yeah. it. James. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. I wanted to invite James in because we have another special guest and we're going to just ask this guest a whole bunch of questions because he's got a ton of things that he could share with us. And we're kind of just laughing, smiling at each other right now thinking about it. But a lot of you guys know this guy because he's touched your life in a really special way. Um, and I believe he's our first import for the podcast <laughs> all the way from Texas. Mr. Joe Altabomber. How are you, man? I'm great. And uh, thanks for having me all the way from Texas. All the way from Texas. <laughs> An so, import. Yeah, so Joe, you're from, where at in Texas? It's near Stephenville, Texas. Stephenville, Texas. Kind of north central Texas. Yeah, and so Joe has been coming to True North for several years. He's actually our camp director now for the Texas Base Camp. If you're interested, if you really like Joe and this podcast, you need to come down to the Texas Base Camp November 16th through the 19th. Oh, yeah. It's in Cleburne, Texas. Awesome place. He's already directed two. Yes. So far, we've had great attendance, and almost every single guy there was there because Joe invited them. <laughs> and so we wanted to get Joe on the podcast to, to hear his story and just his walk with God because it's truly something special. And so we pray that it's going to be a blessing to all of you. And, uh, yeah, so thank you for being here, Joe. Well, thanks for, for having me. Yep. So, well, let's get started with your walk with God and how uh, just your childhood led into that and so what did your childhood look like it was not pretty it was uh it was a lot of abuse and things so by the time i've been on my own since about 13 uh prior to that i was uh there's like i said a lot of abuse uh, a lot of different ways and uh so when i walked out from all that at 13 i was already on my fifth step mom and fourth step dad and both my parents did they just weren't I guess they weren't good parents they didn't know how to be parents but as I gotten older I understand they had some brokenness that they were dealing with and just didn't know yeah. what to do but uh, yeah it was a it was kind of a strange beginning uh, my dad and he was bad alcoholic he'd drink about a case of beer a day and then Anytime we went driving anywhere, he'd drink more, usually some bourbon and Coke, and we'd just take off down the road. So that was the common thing then. So it was, it's just one of those things I learned about God's grace and something called prevenient grace during, during that time, but I understand it now. But all the times we were with him closing down bars all across North Texas and Riding in there with that much alcohol going on, it's a wonder we didn't get killed somewhere along the way early. Yeah, God had a purpose for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Gosh. So, any church at all at this time? No, there was, uh, at that time, both my grandparents did, uh, my one, one set was Catholic, so they went to church on Saturday nights, and that was pretty much about it. And the other set of uh, grandparents, they went to church on a more regular basis, but we weren't always around that. And so we didn't get much of that. We got a little here and there. 
And then for a handful of years, we were living with my, uh, that one set of grandparents. So they would, they would drag us to church every now and then, but it wasn't where we were really getting it or studying or getting to go to any youth, anything. And so it was, a not, not as much church as a lot of people have getting started. So you're just alone, just figuring your life out. Yes, sir. Completely. And so when you're 13, you said you were out on your own, what that looked like. So I had a friend of mine, he had a son a year, uh, was, was a good friend of mine in school. And so he was a year younger than me and he had an older brother about a year older than me. And so one day we get to talking and his dad offered to get me out of that environment. Now this guy drank like a fish too, but he was a happy drunk. So <laughs> it, it, he never abused us. Yeah. He never abused me or any of that, but he gave me a place to have a roof over my head and I worked and mowed yards and did whatever I could and paid him a hundred bucks a month to live there. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me a way out of all the abuse, but a place to be. And so that's kind of what that looked like for quite a number of years. He was there, and uh, while I was in high school, I was working 45 and 50 hours a week and going to full-day high school, and in the summers, I was 85 and 90 hours a week, but I had yeah. a place to lay my head. Yeah. Safe place. Yeah. So where did it go from there? Because you ended up going to college, correct? Yes, sir. And so part of what I learned to do was work. And I kind of figured out at some point, it's just going to be me if I want to go to college. And I did. I had an uncle that back in the 60s, he went to Texas A&M. He was in the Corps there, and he did that for a year. And he ended up changing from there, but he ended up being a, a colonel in the Air Force. And so I always thought, well, that would be kind of cool to be able to do something like that. And that was a neat college. And I had no goals, no plans, and so at some point, I guess God put that on my heart. Is like, put a goal out there. I'll help you. Yeah. And so I, I decided, well, I'm going to go to Texas A&M, be in the Corps cadets there, and so I just, all that working and putting all that money back is what I ended up doing, is saving all that back and working so I could pay my way through college, and so I paid my way through. Awesome. And a lot of hard work. And I squeezed five years into a four-year plan, but I made it. Yeah. Mm. Now, did you meet Lori, your wife, during this time? I did. I met her. It was my my first senior year. Mm-hmm. And her her junior year, we met. Uh, it was kind of a cool story on how we met. But we met there at the campus. She was going there. And then I was going there I was in the core and she was in one of the girls dorms and then there have something there called the bonfire yeah every year and so there's something they do to coordinate between everybody to get people to know each other it's called bonfire buddies mm-hmm. I happen to be coordinating that for my core outfit and she happened to be coordinating it for her girls dorm mm-hmm. and so that's how we met and that was instant love yeah. <laughs> for Not me joking. anyway did they have the tradition back then of at the football games when their team scored the touchdown, you kissed the girl next to you? Yes. Did you take advantage of that? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Joe. And there there was one time where, because when I first met her, I told told you it was first love. Yeah. Instantly, for me anyway. It wasn't necessarily for her, but it was for me. (laughs) I don't know how, Joe. I had to talk her into giving up, but I did eventually. (laughs) But she, uh, she said, 
because I asked her, I said, okay, I want to go to all the football games with you. And she says, well, that sounds neat, but I've already got a commitment with one uh, guy in the core to this this one game in about a month. And I was like, you can tell him no, right? And she just, she just stuck with her guns, and I was just walking around kind of beat down that day and going to the game. I was like, man, I don't want him to kiss her when they score. And so <laughs> anyway, so we – uh it was kind of funny because we rock along, we go to the game, I go to the game with a bunch of my buddies there in my outfit in the core, and we go and we come back to the dorm. It's like, all right, let's 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 get something to eat. It's five thirty six in the afternoon, hot, let's go get something to eat. Well, my phone rings, and it's Lori. And she had called, and she says, that guy wanted to go do stuff later, but I told him I had a headache. So let's, what are you doing to eat? <laughs> and so we ended up going out that evening. But so it kind of was that way from then on. But Beautiful. So we dated for the last two years, and then we got married about two weeks after we graduated. Beautiful. Yeah. She so, made it in four years. It took me five, but yeah, we still got out about the same time, so God timed it. Yeah. So what, had you began a relationship with God during college, or was that after or before I I had kind of my relationship with God was it had started in high school but it really wasn't it was it was more knowing who God was but not knowing God yeah if that makes sense yeah. I I knew but I I wasn't walking it I, I had a Bible so back back in those rough days when I turned 15 years old is kind of one of those spark moments for me. I went and bought myself a Bible and my sister a Bible. I got a sister about two and a half years younger. Mm-hmm. And I went and bought a Bible for each of us. I put her names on them. And that was kind of that moment where I was kind of making the line in the sand. And it's like, let's, I just need to break the chain because yeah. what I've been through ain't working. And what I've watched all my family, it ain't working. There's got to be a better way. And so I was around some people that kind of helped me see a better way. And so at some point at 15, I got that urge, I did that. And then like one of the craziest things when I asked Lori out, one of the first things I asked her was to go to church because I'd been going to church with a couple of guys in the core there Mm -hmm. every week, but maybe I might miss one, one Sunday a month, but we were going, even though we were wore out, we were beat down, we were tired, whatever, we'd still go. And we went to different churches. I was my outfit was such a variety. I had a guy from the Philippines. I had a guy from Thailand. I had a guy from Puerto Rico. I had guys from Texas, from South Carolina. I had a Sikh Indian. I had a Hindu Indian. All this in my, my little outfit, my, my unit there of 12 guys. And so I had that variety, but I went to church with whoever, whenever, and we would all just try to go together. And it was usually three or four of us that stayed pretty consistent. So there was that little something there, but I just didn't know really what it was, and it took off more after I graduated college. But Yeah, well, let's dive into that. So you're get, you get married, you're starting a family. What's it look like from there? It's a little crazy there, too, because we get out and get married, get all excited, and I had about $3,200 of student loan debt that I had acquired over that, five-year period and so I got to working got a job well before I graduated a job offer and it was paid good 
got that, went six month grace period, paid that off. Two months later, got laid off. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, here we go again. So uh, we packed up, moved, and went up to the Waco area and lived there for about nine years. And uh, during that time, we wanted to have kids, but it wasn't in God's plan because we had a miscarriage. And that was a, that was a tough time because God was, we knew God and we'd been going to church, but we didn't know God enough to have the hope I have now. Yeah. And so struggling through that, um, that time and all the people around me, you know, it, it, and that goes to show another thing is who you surround yourself with is super important. And we know that better now than we've ever known it. But back then, we thought we had friends. We thought we had good friends. And when we had that miscarriage, it was several months long. It was painful. It was a tough time. But we didn't have anybody to lean on. We didn't have a church family to lean on because we'd been going to church, but just going. And uh, they didn't really know us. We didn't know them. The people I worked with were, there's only one guy there, I think, that even knew who God was. The rest of them could care less. And so it, it was felt pretty alone there for a little while. And so the doctors kept telling us, well, y'all just, y'all are never going to be able to have kids. And, and we could have bought into that, but we didn't. And I just kept telling everybody, my walk got a little stronger at that point because I was like, God's got a plan. Whatever it is, I know there is something. He's not intentionally keeping us from having kids. He didn't intentionally do that. It might have been allowed to happen, like in Job, but everything we're father filtered in, and that was one of those moments that I understood that. But I kept telling people, we'll, whenever God's ready, we'll be ready. And if not, we got to that point where even if we don't have kids, we're going to be fine. We're just going to walk with God. And it took me a little while to get there because I didn't have any real help. So it was a couple of years. But it was about eight and a half years after we were married before we had our kids that we have now. Uh, something that comes to mind that I'm encouraged to ask is, um, so not talking about not having that community, thinking that you had it, and then where did the it, where did the transition begin, and what did it look like to start stepping into? That's a good question. So one of the things that happened there was, is <laughs> we deceive ourselves sometimes, and we that that moment really changed a lot of that. It, it made us realize that we didn't have kind of a safety net of any kind to speak of. And so that moment after that uh, miscarriage, it, it showed us that we need more because even in our family situation, there wasn't support there because uh, nobody else was going to church. Nobody else was doing any of that. And at that point, my grandparents were way out of the picture. And so there wasn't anybody even close. Uh, but one day, and I can tell you, we were driving down a little highway, a little farm market road just outside of Waco, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, and that's been 20-something years ago, almost 30. But I remember it. <clears throat> Lori was asking me while we were driving. She's like, 
we need friends. We need support. And it's like, we got friends, being the guy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we got friends. And she said, okay, who? Ooh. And then I start listing off. Well, that's just somebody you sell welding supplies to. That's not, mm-hmm. they're not going to be there if something happened. Were they there for us for this? No. Go down the list. And as I'm thinking through my list, and I'm thinking of all the people, and there wasn't a single one of them that we could call on and say, this is what I'm dealing with. Can you pray for us? There wasn't a single one. And I went down a long list of names because I kept mm. thinking, no, we got friends. That was our light bulb moment of we really didn't have friends. We didn't have a support group. We didn't have a church family. It's like, we got to fix that. That has got to be a priority because me and you are doing this on our own. And God's kind of in it, but he's not in it enough. And that's why we're having constant struggles. But as a follower of Christ, we all know once you once you walk with Christ and give give him your life and put him in your heart, man, you got hope. And there's a lot of people out there that don't have that. And we didn't have that at that moment, but we started figuring out what it looked like. Yeah, so what steps did you take? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm there's probably a lot of people listening to this right now that are in the exact spot that you were in. And so shed some light on that. What steps did you take? What, what obstacles did you encounter? All of that. Yeah. So we, one of the things we really worked on doing was be more intentional about one, who we're spending time with. And then two, being more intentional about digging into God's word. We had several Bibles around the house and we'd done some Bible study, but I was at that point, I was good just getting a verse of the day sent to my email or my phone and thinking I'm good. Oh, how wrong I was. But that wasn't enough. And then finding other other believers that we could sit and visit with. And like I said, it goes back to who you surround yourself with. And so I was like, need people other than just the ones at work. We need some other friends in our lives, some people our age that we can go do life with, but we also need some older that we can ask them, what did you do in these situations, or what did you go through? What does this look like for you? And so we intentionally started building a a network of people in our lives, and we just, you don't need a ton, you just need some. And so once we got three, four, or five of them and started going to a church, a local church there on a more regular basis, but going with more of a purpose of learning something instead of just checking a box and showing up, uh, it started making a difference and it started making an impact in our conversations. Because before that, like if we were to get in an argument, it, it just didn't go well because we didn't have God in it. Not like we should have. He was there, but he was sitting there just wondering, I can't believe my kids are talking like this, is more what he was probably wondering. And to be honest with you now, I can't even remember, I can sit here today and I can't even remember the last time we got in an argument. And so it's a big change when you got God in everything because he's in every discussion and you don't ever get to that part where you have what some people call heated discussion. (laughs) And so we grew past that, but we also had, as a man, I needed to have a couple men in my life that I could ask questions to or that I could 
pour on their shoulder of this is what I'm dealing with. What do you do in this? And we didn't have that. And she needed some women that she could do that with. And we finally started finding a couple. We ended up with a couple young couples that were our age. One of them had kids. One of them didn't. And so there, we ended up with about three couples at that point. And uh, we were all without kids, but all just seeking, searching, trying to figure out what's, what's our purpose? What are we doing? And uh, why are we in this situation we're in with the pain we went through? But why didn't we have friends like we thought we had friends? And so that was kind of that transition. But it was it all boiled down to being intentional about going and finding a close circle. And then you get that further out circle that's a little more out there. It's not all the intimate stuff, but it's still good to have still people that will come support and help you change a flat tire. Yes. All that. Yeah. You know, somebody you can call in the middle of the night if you got a problem. Yeah. And we didn't have any of that. And it was very obvious that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with what you're saying, James. I think there's, a lot of people that I, I think most people we just don't know what real community looks like mm-hmm. until we go through some sort of crisis event and realize the lack of community we actually have. Yes, sir. And I'm still walking and learning in that. And and how do you invite? You know, I think the amount of matters. How many people yeah. you kind of invite into that? Yeah. And, um, the richness and quality of those relationships. Um, if there's one thing. Yeah. What were you you say? know, I, th- I think something important to point out too is I think a lot of us think that having the friends that will come call on us if we have a flat tire in the middle of the night, you know, those midnight calls, that's deep and, and awesome. But I think there's even another layer to the inner core of that group of three that now you're getting into the discussion of, hey, I'm really mad about, I'm frustrated with God about this, mm-hmm. or I'm struggling deeply with this, and I'm not telling anybody about it, but you have that trust level with this group of three to share that stuff and start sharpening the right. the most Safe innermost parts of our soul. And yeah. so that sounds like what you're describing. Like, it is. not only now do you have people that will come and support you, but then you've got people that are actually driving you towards the heart of God. That's right. And so y'all have heard me talk before, and a handful of people listening to this probably have too, but I always say you need three people in your lives for sure, and that's a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. Mm-hmm. And that never really resonated with me till about 10 years ago. To, to find those. You need yeah. a Paul for encouraging you and supporting you and cheering you on. You need a Barnabas to lock arms with in those battles of life that it may be somebody that went through the exact same thing you went through. They get it. They understand, and they're there for you. They know how to help pull you through. And then you got a Timothy, somebody you're going to speak life into and bring up behind you. Yeah. And so once I started figuring that out several years ago, that's that was another thing I was intentional to do to find those people in my life. And so I've kept that circle in my life for a long time. But 10 years ago, when that light bulb moment there, that was critical. Your story might, there might not be a single event to this question, 
um, and it might have just been a slow trip, but I'm curious if there was a moment where you just fell so madly in love with God because we see that, like, everybody that sees you knows the level of love you have for the Father, and it's just so obvious. Like, is there a moment that that just switched, or was it just a long obedience in the same direction? One of the most beautiful things about Joe is he's not afraid to tear up yep. and share and tune in to the emotions God's given him. But what you guys aren't seeing right now is Joe's just welling up yep. and his eyes are red and he's tearing up because the question James is asking just touches that love yeah. and his heart that he has for the father. And it's beautiful to see. Yeah. Someday we'll have a YouTube channel so people can see Joe crying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't need to go that far. <laughs> Drown out the equipment here. Uh, it, it was more <clears throat> of a long obedience in that direction. Yeah. And there probably is, if I really stop and think about it, there probably was just a moment that it just came real clear. I can think of several little things, but uh, it was, I'd say it was just that long obedience, just running for the Father and and getting it that it's more than just a verse of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and we do a podcast now, my wife and I do, and one of the things that we just keep trying to drive the point home is you got to read your Word. Yeah. And if you don't read the Word... You don't read the Word of God, you don't know the heart of God. And it's when I stand up sometimes, I take the Bible and I take the first three chapters. (laughs) And it was the, everything is going so good, and then the rest of it is God getting our hearts back, fighting for our hearts back. And I tell everybody, it's just the greatest love story ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really is, but if you don't read it, you don't know. I talked to so many people people men and women that they do devotions they they get a scripture here and there they listen to podcasts they do stuff but they go to church but they say they don't have time to read mm-hmm. i just i just tell them that's it's not a good excuse because you've got to read it to understand what god's getting at and once i truly started reading his word that's when all this changed because I used to not, well, I used to cry a lot, but it was pain. Mm-hmm. And sometime in the last 10, 12 years, it's changed from pain to joy. Oh, so it's it's such a different, I got the same tears, but it's a whole different mm-hmm. Coming from purpose. A different spot. Yeah. Yes, a whole different spot oh, for sure. It's overflow. Yes. I love that. And I drank from the saucer because my cup runs over, baby. <laughs> I love it. And so, and that's what I pray over people. Yeah. I want them to have that same joy and that same, feel that same love from the Father and other men in their life yeah. that, you know, don't don't try to do this alone. I always tell people, it's, you're not a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you've got to have these other people in your life. Yeah. So how about, how about your family? Um, because I know you got kids now, and so you went from... <laughs> 
you know, struggling with that to, to having kids. What did that look like for you guys? Well, <laughs> we, the doctor that said we'd never have kids, I looked for him when we actually had our twins. <laughs> he was in that same hospital somewhere, but I could never find him. I think he was ignoring me at that point because yeah. he said, you'll never have them. You're stupid for not doing this. I can help you, and I'm your only way. I said, no, God's my only way. Mm. And I kind of made a stand. What, what did you want to say to him when you, when you found him? See what God did. Yeah. Because I told him, I said, God will do it. You don't have to play God to make it happen. And I know some people, they go through all these processes and stuff. The only thing we had done for Testing was just to make sure we were both okay, and we were. I was a little off, but we've known that for a long time, so we just went with it. <laughs> but uh, so she ended up, Lori ended up pregnant, and then uh, it was about two or three months in. I guess it's about three months in. The, the doctor says, hey, since y'all have had situations before issues before let's let's check and just make sure everything's good because it wasn't but a couple of years after that uh, miscarriage and so anyway we go in there and we're up there on the 11th floor of the hospital there in Waco and they check and I said we're going to do a sonogram so they hooked her up and did the sonogram thing and they said um there's two little hearts beating in here there's two. Y'all are gonna have twins, and I was like, "Whoa!" Oh so God. we went from nothing to two, and uh, so we just cried and thank God for that, and uh, we just said, "Just help us to take care of Lori and these little ones," and and we moved on from there. Um, so anyway, they we got about they were born five weeks early as a boy and a girl, and. Uh, so we had some situations and issues to really watch, and she got put on bed rest for a while before they came, like yeah. a couple months. But uh, it was just one of those things, but we knew God was in it, and it just you could feel it. But at that point, we were walking more that way than where we were before. Yeah, And so we had people excited with us, that we hadn't had before, and that was kind of neat. Uh, so yeah, we we started walking in that, and then it was the the God in it that was the difference. But yeah, that's what I was going to tell that doctor was, see, you're not the only one that can make babies. Yeah, God created two of them right here, and they're yeah. beautiful. Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening to Joe's story. We're actually going to be back next week with part two of his story where he's going to share about his walk with True North and this wild at heart message and what all that's meant to him and his life and the impact he's had on so many men's lives. And so thank you all for listening to this week's version of the True North Podcast and look forward to seeing you all next week. <laughs>